The title for this morning's message is Signs, Wonders, and the Power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at Romans chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. So let's read through this. And then I'm going to pray, and we're going to take a few minutes to unpack this. In Christ Jesus, and I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Lycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And just one quick comment, even before I pray and we jump into this, now, Elycrium today would be the modern-day country of Albania. And it's just north of Greece. It's on the Adriatic Sea. And what's fascinating is, do you guys know who Doug Gaiman is? Do you guys know who Doug Gaiman is? Um, well, I serve on the board for Globe Missions. And last week, Doug Gaiman and I, we were up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is God's country, amen? That's like, it's like Jesus, cows, and chickens out there in central Pennsylvania with the Amish and the Mennonites. Anyways, I was at this pastor's conference with Doug Gaiman, and we actually were meeting with some pastors from Albania. And one of the pastors was a Muslim who's become a Christian and is now pastoring a Christian church in Albania. Come on, can we give the Lord an amen on that? And what had happened was, is, do you guys remember the Kosovo War during the Clinton presidency? Well, all these Kosovo refugees came down in Albania, and the only ones that would reach out to the Muslims and help were these German evangelical Christians. And this young Muslim man heard the gospel from them, started reading the Testament, gave his life to Jesus, and is now, plant, is now pastoring a church. And so Doug Gaiman and I are praying actually about doing some festival events in Albania and helping to start a church planting movement in Albania. And what would be so amazing for me would be to go back to the exact same spot where Paul ministered 2,000 years ago and bring the gospel back to the exact same place that Paul brought it in Romans 15. Wouldn't that be outstanding? And God is moving in the Muslims of Albania. They're actually, they're, they're coming to Christ. They're, they're seeing Jesus in visions. And so God is doing some really amazing things there. So there's actually a pretty powerful connection between this passage and some things that Doug and I are praying about. But let me pray, and we'll take a few minutes and unpack this. God, we thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for the house of God. I thank you for the gift of worship, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the people of God, the family of God. I think that we can come to church, and as we wait upon you, Lord, you renew our strength, you transform us, you feed us, you encourage us, so that we can go back out into the world and live for you. Bless these few minutes now, and speak, to me, speak through me, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what are signs and wonders? You know, we hear that phrase, and maybe it scares us, or maybe it excites us, or maybe it stirs up trauma from the past, Amen. <laughs> How many of you guys remember the, the television station TBN? Any of you guys remember TBN? You guys remember Benny Hinn? Do you guys remember all that? Do you remember Paul and Jan Crouch on TBN? Do you remember that whole thing? So honestly, sometimes when we hear the phrase signs and wonders, we don't really know what it means. So what are signs and wonders? Well, the phrase signs and wonders appears 30 times in the Bible, 14 times in the Old Testament, 16 times in the New Testament. And the first time you see the phrase signs and wonders is actually during the story of Israel's exodus out of Egypt. And you see it in Exodus chapter 7, verse 3. God says, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders, 
in the land of Egypt. Then after Exodus 7.3, you see the phrase signs and wonders 13 more times in the Old Testament. And then that exact phrase is brought into the New Testament, and it's used by Jesus and the writers of the New Testament. And Jesus actually warned us to watch out for false prophets doing false signs and wonders. So there's true signs and wonders, and then there's false signs and wonders. So the first one is, what are signs? Signs are things that God does that point to the reality of his presence and power in our midst. They're tokens of his presence. They're evidences that God is present and moving in our midst. And it can be as simple as the sense of God's manifest presence in our gathering. Yes, God is always present. He's omnipresent. But sometimes what God does in a really powerful worship moment, even in that worship moment right then, can we just give Nick and Kayla a round of applause for that incredible worship this morning? Can we hear it for them? Have you ever had those moments where you're just worshiping the Lord and all of a sudden you just feel the manifest presence of God? You just raise your hand. Can I get an amen from anybody? It can also be through manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophetic words, all the way up to gifts of healing or casting out demons or raising the dead. The apostle Paul raised somebody from the dead. And wonders are amazing things that God does that produce awe and wonder. And this can include miracles. And some of the most spectacular wonders that you see in the Bible is God parting the Red Sea, is Jesus giving sight to the blind, is the resurrection of Jesus. And see, the whole thing about Yahweh, the God of Israel, is he is a God of wonders. Yahweh is a wonder-working God. Look at these two passages. Psalm 72, verse 18 says, blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Psalm 77, verse 14, you are the God who works wonders. Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is a wonder-working God. And I was thinking about it lately. You know, we all crave wonder. We all crave awe. I've been kind of reflecting on it lately. It's like we all have this glory hunger inside of us. That's why we go to the Grand Canyon, and we literally stare at a hole in the ground, and we're like, it's so awesome. It's just a hole in the ground, <laughs> but it's just a really big hole in the ground. Can I get an amen? And we just go, wow, that's just the coolest thing in the world. That's why we go to Coldplay concerts, and, and we see NFL football games. Right now, I'm praying for the Jets. I, I'm, I'm believing in Zach Wilson. Anybody out there? Can I get an amen on that? That's why we ride roller coasters. That's why we ride big waves. You know, a couple years ago, I got back into snowboarding, and I'm, I'm a middle-aged man, okay? And it's like, that's why I'm flying down mountains. My new speed record is 50 miles an hour. My friend David Riesbeck, who's my snowboarding buddy, he's gotten up to 65 miles per hour on a snowboard. I want to go, I want to do 70. I want to go five miles past him, amen? Why am I as a middle-aged man doing stuff like that? Because we crave awe and wonder and glory. But the only one who can ultimately satisfy that hunger for awe and wonder and glory is the God of wonders, Yahweh. You know, God was moving so powerfully in the early church that it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, that everyone in the early church, so the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. You know, the church was just 120 people. Peter gets up, preaches this incredible message. And in one day, the 3,000 people get saved. You want to talk about church growth? Imagine going from 120 to 3,120 in a single day. 
So all these people get saved. God is moving. And this is what it says about the early church when the Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully in the brand new church. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. You know, the thing about Jesus, too, is that Jesus always left people amazed. If you ever want to do a fun word study sometime, just look at all the times the word amazed is used in the Gospels. It says, and they were amazed, and they were amazed, and they were amazed, and they were amazed, and they were amazed. I tell my church that. I say, if if we ever do anything that's amazing, it's because Jesus Christ did it. Because everything Jesus does is amazing. But here's the thing, is we need both the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We need both. Jesus said the Father is looking for those who will worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. If it's all word, we dry up. If it's all spirit, we blow up. But if it's word and spirit, we grow up. We need both. In the Great Commission, Jesus gives us our mission, our message, and our authority. And then at Pentecost, he gives us power. And you need both. We need the word of God, and we need the power of God. And Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus preached the good news And he healed the sick and cast out demons. He did both, word and spirit. And the signs and the wonders and the miracles that he performed, they were manifestations of the kingdom of God. What they were is they were little foretastes of that coming future kingdom in which there will be no more sickness and no more evil and no more Middle East wars. Can I get an amen? And no more death. That's the kingdom that's coming And as Jesus was teaching about the kingdom, he was giving people a little foretaste of that coming kingdom. Also, the signs and the wonders authenticated the message of Jesus. They validated who he was. But this is the message, this is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, and I want you to hear this, it's a holistic message. The early Pentecostals used to call this the fourfold gospel or the full gospel. Sometimes if you're out on some country road in Alabama, it'll say, full gospel church. You're like, what does that mean? This is what they're talking about. And what it means is that, yes, Jesus wants to save my soul, but he also wants to heal me and set me free, amen? Jesus cares about the whole person. Jesus came not just to save us, but also to restore everything that was broken and lost, He's come to restore broken marriages. He's come to restore broken lives. He's come to restore broken families. It's not just like we get saved and then we kind of limp into heaven, amen? Jesus wants to save us and heal us. And I've been thinking about it lately is that the church is an army. The church is the army of God, and the church is only as strong as it is healthy. And if we're going to reach our world for Jesus, we need to be much more spiritually healthy. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to heal us so that we can be an effective army for the Lord. Do you know that during the Civil War, you know what killed more Civil War soldiers than anything else? It wasn't the guns, it wasn't the cannons, it wasn't the bullets. It was the diseases that they caught within the camps. The Red Cross was birthed out of the sanitation movement to clean up the Civil War camps because that that was killing more soldiers than any weapon that they were using in the Civil War. An army is only as good as it is healthy. It's not just about going to heaven when we die. It's also about my life in this world. Jesus is the healer. Just say that. Just say, Jesus is the healer. And he wants to heal us. He wants to restore us. He wants to set us free. 
He wants to deliver us from every bondage, every addiction, every chain, every fear, every depressive thought, every suicidal thought, every bit of anxiety and worry and concern and fear. Jesus wants to set us free from all of it. Can I get an amen on that? And Jesus, like a good rabbi, he taught his disciples to do the same things that he did, to share the gospel and to heal the sick and to drive out demons. He taught them to do both. You know, rabbis in Jesus' world, they weren't just teachers. They, they didn't see their job as just to pass on information. What a rabbi was is a rabbi was considered a living Torah. So his whole life was his teaching. And so when you became a rabbi's disciple, you studied not only what the rabbi taught you, but you studied his entire way of life. You studied the way he walked. You studied the way he talked. You studied the way he lived. You, you would analyze the whole life of your rabbi and the goal of the rabbi was to reproduce his life in others, and Jesus was a rabbi. And so he taught his disciples to both do the things he was saying and the things that he was doing. And not only did he teach the 12 apostles how to heal the sick and cast out demons, but he taught the 70 disciples how to do it. And then by the time you get to the book of Acts, it spread from the apostles and the 70 disciples throughout the entire church. Stephen was doing signs and wonders. Philip was doing signs and wonders. By the time you start getting into the epistles, Paul talks about how the Christians in Corinth were doing signs and wonders, the Christians in Galatia were doing signs and wonders. In fact, there were so many manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the church of Corinth that Paul had to write 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14 to give some pastoral guidance for all the amazing things the Holy Spirit was doing in the church of Corinth. And then when you read the church fathers... Christians were still performing signs and wonders in the second century, the third century, the fourth century. And then when you look at church history, every time there was a revival or a powerful move of God throughout church history, you see a reemergence of signs and wonders and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You see them in the Reformation. You see them in the first and second great awakening. John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, and Charles Finney, they all describe manifestations of the Holy Spirit in their revival gatherings. In fact, Jonathan Edwards, who was a very conservative Calvinist Christian, he shepherded this revival that was so powerful. There were so many manifestations of the Holy Spirit that Edwards had to write all these books to try to like, tease apart what was the Lord and what wasn't the Lord because God was moving so powerfully in the revivals that he was shepherding. Then we see them in the Azusa Street Revival, which actually birthed the Pentecostal movement. Then you see them in the Charismatic movement. You see them in the Jesus movement. But I think outside of Jesus, probably the most supreme embodiment of word and spirit was the Apostle Paul. Paul had a mind like a razor blade. He was a genius, and he was probably one of the most brilliant minds that ever lived. I mean, there's not enough superlatives to describe how incredible the Apostle Paul was. There's a really outstanding book out right now called Dominion. It's by a British author named Tom Holland, and Tom's actually an atheist. And yet Tom has been analyzing Western culture, and his conclusion, he says that almost every single one of our positive Western values can all be traced back to the Apostle Paul. That's how profound the impact was that the Apostle Paul had on Western civilization. And the book of Romans that you guys have been going through is Paul's masterpiece. It's his magnum opus. The book of Romans has had an impact on church history unlike any other book in the Bible. It was instrumental in the, in the conversion of St. Augustine, of Martin Luther, of John Wesley. It transformed the preaching of Karl Barth. 
John Calvin, writing about the book of Romans, said that if we've gained an understanding of Romans, we've opened a door to all the most profound treasures of Scripture. And yet here's what I want you to see. When it was all said and done, even though it was this, the book of Romans was this piece of intellectual just brilliance, here in Romans chapter 15, verses 17 through 19, in our passage this morning, what does Paul say that he ultimately relied on to advance the gospel? His own intellectual brilliance? His own ability to outsmart people? No. He relied on the power of the Holy Spirit and on the power of signs and wonders. Isn't that fascinating? Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I want you to look at this passage. I think I, we have a slide for it. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And Paul did it all. Paul healed the sick. He raised the dead. He prophesied. He spoke in tongues. He had words of wisdom and words of knowledge. He performed miracles. And I honestly believe that all the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit are still available for today. I do not believe all this ended at the end of the apostolic age. I think that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still available for today. I think all the power of the Holy Spirit is available to today. And I don't think we need Jesus any less in the 21st century than they did in the first century. Amen? If anything, we need more of the Holy Spirit today. We need more of God's power today. Our world is like the first century on steroids, okay? We live in this kind of technological, advanced first world climate now. And we need, I think we need the power of the Holy Spirit almost probably more now than any other time that I've been alive. And these gifts of the Holy Spirit and these signs and wonders, they were to characterize the entire church age from Pentecost to the second coming of Jesus. I love what Jack Deere writes in his book, Surprised by the Power of the Spirit. Listen to what he writes. No one ever picked up the Bible, started reading, and then came to the conclusion that God was not doing signs and wonders anymore and that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had passed away. The doctrine of cessationism did not originate from a careful study of the scriptures. If you went to somebody on a desert island in the South Pacific and you gave them a Bible and they just started reading it for themselves and, and, and they didn't have any preconceived ideas about anything, they would not walk away with the conclusion that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had ceased. They would think that they are all still available for today. The only reason why we believe that is because somebody put that into our heads, but there's no scriptural proof or warrant for that. And here's what I want you to hear. I believe with all my heart, and I am absolutely, utterly convinced of this, and we're seeing it at work in my church in New York City. By the way, revival is happening in New York City. Come on, can we give the Lord a round of applause for that? Like, revival is happening. I don't even think it's like revival is coming. Like, I think it's here, and it's just growing. And I think we're going to see the most powerful move of God in the history of the world. I think the world's going to get darker, unfortunately. Happy church, happy Sunday. I hope you have a wonderful day. <laughs> I think the world's going to get darker. And I think the things that are happening in Israel, the things that are happening in the Ukraine, I think China's probably going to invade Taiwan. I believe World War III has already begun. And I think the world's going to get a lot more intense. It's going to get a lot more darker. But 
God is going to move in crazy supernatural power. I believe that with every fiber of my being. I honestly think that we're going to be the generation that sees the greatest move of God in the history of the Christian church. Like, without question. I was telling the dream team before this service, every single day, I pray for revival in Pensacola, Pensacola Beach, Upper Room Church, Midway, even Navarre, amen? (laughs) Even Navarre, okay? Judea, Samaria, you know, the ends of the earth, you know? I pray for, I don't know why I said that, I like Navarre. Uh, I pray for revival, I'm, I'm, I promise you this, I pray for revival Fort Walton, Fort Walton Beach, Destin, I'm praying for revival all along 30A. You're like, they don't need revival, well, they need revival too, amen? So, all right, their property values are incredible, but they need Jesus like everybody else, amen? I pray for revival in Destin, I pray for revival in coastal Alabama, Mississippi, I was in Mississippi a couple months back, and I drove to Mississippi, and about every 100 yards there's a little church, Amen? And I pray for revival in all those little country churches in Mississippi. I pray for revival in Louisiana and New Orleans. And I am absolutely believing God for like a third grade awakening in the city of New York. My church has started doing this thing where we go to Times Square and we have these worship nights. And they have just been going off. And ever since COVID and the BLM riots, something shifted in the city of New York to when we do that stuff, nobody hates on us. Nobody heckles us. We just sing these beautiful Jesus songs and people are like mesmerized. And they're drawn like moss to a flame. And then I'll just have some of like my beautiful young people, like 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, just get up and share their testimonies about how Jesus set them free from suicidal thoughts. How Jesus set them free from depression and anxiety. And they're these adorable little Gen Z kids talking about what Jesus did in their heart. And people are just crying. And then we do is, and then we have on the outer ring, we just have people available to pass out New Testaments and Gospel of John and administer to people, and God is moving. There's like, this is just, I'm, I'm yeah, I, don't, I only got like 15 minutes, but there's like these low rumblings, and it is coming, and I'm here for it, okay? I'm here for it. And in terms of America, the war is on for America, but I'm not going out without a fight, And I'm not going to sit on the sidelines and watch this country unravel and the wheels come off and this whole thing collapse, not so long as I'm alive. And as Christians, how do we fight? We fight in the name of Jesus. We preach the gospel. We pray for our enemies. We seek God for revival. We we love people. We love our enemies. You do art shows and you invite the 10 guys that would never darken the doors of upper room, amen? And you have this kind of awkward, hey, you know? (laughs) You do whatever you have to do. But I do believe that if we're going to reach the 21st century for Jesus, please hear this, we're going to have to rediscover and walk in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this in our own strength. We cannot do this in our own wisdom. The the word from the Lord for me lately is to wait on the Lord. And not waiting on the Lord in some passive thing like just waiting for a revival. No, like do something, amen? Like pray and do something. It's waiting on the Lord in terms of like, I'm, I'm trying to listen to the Lord's voice. So I do this thing now in New York where I go to this Thursday morning prayer meeting and then I go to Times Square, every th- just about every Thursday, and I sit at Times Square and I'll pray for about an hour. And I'll just kind of walk through Midtown Manhattan and I just try to open my heart and just say, Lord, show us how to reach this city. Show us how to reach this city, Lord Jesus, because Yahweh knows how to reach that city. Remember the story of when Peter and those guys were fishing all night and they caught nothing? And, and then Jesus goes, drop your nets over there. 
And they're like, whatever, dude, you know? We're pro-fishermen. Okay? It's like, all right, whatever, just throw the net over there. They listen to Jesus. They do something that was unconventional. They throw the net into the water, and what happens? It's a catch too big to pull into the boat. Jesus knows where to drop the nets. But we've got to listen to him. We've got to wait on him. He's got the master plan. He knows how to do it. And every problem you're facing in your life, Jesus knows the answer. The apostle Paul, he called God, he called him the only wise God. Every answer you need is available, but we have to wait on him so he can speak to us and give us the answer. I think the Lord's like, hey, you want to do it in your own strength? Knock knock yourself out, man. But if you want me to help you, you've got to open your heart and allow me to speak to you, and I will. And I think we need to be like the Apostle Paul. We need to be that perfect balance of word and spirit. We need to be intellectually sharp, and we need to walk in the supernatural power of God. And we need to recapture that first century apostolic Christianity. The church needs to recapture that sold-out, supernatural, willing-to-die-for-Jesus faith. I want to tell you one story, and then I've got five closing points, and I'm going to be done. We'll, get, we'll, we'll knock this out in like seven minutes, I promise. So, um, so we do these worship nights in Times Square, right? And John Martin, I think he's led worship for you guys a couple times. He brought a team up to New York City, and we had this worship night scheduled like two months in advance. Well, it was a Friday night after the October 7th terrorist attack in Israel. And we were going to do a worship night at Times Square, right? Well, there was these hardcore pro-Hamas protests at Times Square. And so John Martin's like, he's like, he's like, Mike, what should we do? Should we call it off? I'm like, we're not calling it off, amen? He's, yeah, he's like, good for you. And uh, <laughs> I said, we're not calling it off. So then I went to Times Square like around 4 o'clock to kind of scope it out. And actually, the protesters, they were on 42nd Street. And where we do it was actually kind of peaceful. I was a little bummed. I was like, that's oh, not really a crowd, you know? And so we, started, we gathered at 7 o'clock. We started worshiping. And about 15 to 20 minutes into our worship time, these pro-Hamas protesters started gathering right next to us. And they had the head scarves off. They had their scarves wrapped around their face like they were terrorists. And they had the Palestinian flags. And they had bullhorns. And they're going, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. And they came at us, and they were trying to intimidate us and to shut us down and to keep us from worshiping Jesus. Well, I turned to John Martin, who's from Alabama, and I said, John, play louder. <laughs> and we just started singing louder and singing louder and singing louder. I got a little crazy, okay, all right? I started screaming, God is love, and Jesus is the son of God. <laughs> But I realized in that moment that you cannot let them make you be afraid. And we have to be willing to die for Jesus. It says in the book of Revelation, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and and by not loving their lives even unto death. So then they weren't leaving, and and then it was about 8.15, and John Martin has kids there. He's like, like, Mike, I got to go. And I was like, so I turned to my associate pastor, Solo. I'm like, Solo, he's like, Mike, I don't got anything prepared. I was like, ah. I was like, because I was going to stay there for six months until they left, Amen. Like, there was no way they were going to intimidate us. And sh- I'm Irish. There's like no way they're going to cause me. I was going to outweigh them, but everybody had to go. They said, all right, let's just do this, all right? <laughs> but I'm a terrible singer, so I couldn't do it, right? So it's like, and so I said, all right, well, let's just do this. I'm like, let's get on our knees. Let's get on our knees. Let's start praying. We got on our knees. We started praying, and we blessed them. And when we got up, they were all gone. The solution wasn't me screaming God is love, though I enjoy doing that, amen? It wasn't screaming that Jesus is the Son of God. It was getting down on our knees and praying and seeking the Lord 
and all of our enemies were scattered. It's like one of the wildest things I've ever seen. It was like we read about this stuff in the Bible, and then when you actually see it with your own eyes, it's, it's like so mesmerizing. But we are going to have to rediscover that first century, all-in, willing-to-die-for-Jesus Christianity. The battle is on, our country's unraveling, our world is unraveling, and we need to be all-in for Jesus. The Word of God is the nitro, the Holy Spirit's the glycerin, and what happens when you combine nitro and glycerin? Explosive things begin to happen. Smith Wigglesworth, he was a famous revivalist in the kind of late 19th, early 20th century. He had this prophecy. He says, when the word and the spirit come together, there'll be the biggest move of the Holy Spirit that the nations and indeed the world has ever seen. And I believe he's absolutely right. And I do think that because of some of the excesses and the abuses of the Holy Spirit in the past, and because of some things, honestly, that happened about 15 to 20 years ago, for about the last 20 years, the church has totally shied away from the Holy Spirit. There's been very little talk about the Holy Spirit, and we've emphasized kind of intellectualism and being seeker-sensitive, and we kind of pursued all these other different things, and ironically, we actually neglected the most powerful thing of all. We neglected the Holy Spirit. And you see, the cure for the abuses of the Holy Spirit isn't the neglect of the Holy Spirit, it's the proper, healthy, biblical use of the Holy Spirit, okay? And we can't allow the excesses and the abuses to cause us to throw the baby out with the bathwater and pass on all of it and miss out on what the Holy Spirit would want to do in our lives if we were open to him. And how do we get more of the Holy Spirit in our lives? I want to give you six quick ways, and then I'm going to conclude this message and the keyboard is you can come up and start making it sound spiritual here if you want in the background. So, um, um, so how do we position ourselves to experience more of the Holy Spirit, to see signs and wonders, and to walk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? First, we have to pray like we've never prayed before. Everything flows out of our intimacy with Jesus. Everything. And guys, we are living in not normal times. So we need to have a not normal prayer life. <laughs> I've actually made a commitment. I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm, I got not, I'm not going to be in my 40s that much longer. And, uh, and I made a personal commitment that for the next 20 years of my life, I'm asking the Lord to give me one last run. And for this one last run, what I've started doing is I'm getting up every morning at 5 a.m. and I'm praying for an hour. I'm getting up to an hour and a half. And my goal is to start getting up at four hours and praying for two hours every day. And since I have really radically upped my prayer life, I have been seeing the Holy Spirit move so powerfully in my church, in my life. And that's just the bottom line. If we want to see the Holy Spirit move, we have to pray. Every, every revival began in prayer. Every revival was sustained in prayer. And once the prayer receded, the move of God receded. And I tell my church in New York, I don't want that like six-month revival. I want that 20-year revival. Can I, can I get an Amen. I want that revival that, that changes the entire course of human history. I want our generation to go down in the Christian history books as one of the great generations. What's only going to come about if we pray. Secondly, we have to walk in holiness. And we have to walk in obedience. And we have to be absolutely surrendered to Jesus. And we do this by the grace and power of God. We cannot do this in our own strength and our own ability. The only way we can walk in holiness, the only way we can walk in victory is by the grace and power of God. Can I get an amen on that? 
But what happens is when we are walking in sin and disobedience, we grieve the Holy Spirit. We quench the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean, it doesn't affect our salvation. We're still going to go to heaven when we die, but it causes the Holy Spirit to kind of pull away from us. And so what we actually need to do is say, Holy Spirit, help me be the person that you want me to be so I can walk in a greater measure of your power in my life. And I think, in the, I think in the church in North America, we need to get back to that old school Christianity where they talked about holiness and they talked about purity and they talked about obedience. We need to go back to the ancient past and we need to bring all that stuff back again. We have to be open to the Holy Spirit. God only goes where he's wanted. Jesus only goes where he's welcome. He's such a gentleman. If you don't want him, he won't bother you. If a church doesn't want him, he won't go. <laughs> we, we have to say, Jesus, you're welcome here. I want you here. That's why worship is so powerful. Because as we worship God, in a sense, we're romancing God. We're telling God we love him. We're telling God we want him. And that, and that love and that worship and that devotion, it actually, it causes God to draw near. That's why worship is so powerful. That's why the Holy Spirit moves so powerful in worship moments, because we're welcoming God into the room, we're welcoming God into our hearts, and where God's wanted, he comes. Also, you know, if we don't want the gifts of the Holy Spirit, then the Lord won't bring them. But if we open ourselves to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, then we'll start to receive them. Just to be kind of perfectly honest, I've been on this like, kind of personal like, like prophecy journey. And so I've read, I've read like three books on prophecy over the last few months. I visited a couple churches that are really known for the prophetic. And it's the wildest thing. Once I started praying about the prophetic, studying the prophetic, and opening myself to the prophetic, I get all, I've been getting all these incredible prophetic words. It was like once I opened myself to it, it's like this floodgate of amazing prophetic words that have come to my life. But if we don't want them, the Lord won't bring it. But if we open ourselves to it, you'll start seeing God do the craziest things in your life. We have to be open to the Holy Spirit. And we have to create an atmosphere of freedom, an atmosphere of openness, an atmosphere of expectation. Back when I used to travel the world with walking on water, I always knew I could be anywhere on planet Earth and the people who would always be down for an outreach and for a new move, a new move of God were the charismatics, amen? And the Pentecostals. I could go to a church in Germany, and if they were Pentecostal, they're down, okay? And it's that spirit of openness and, and freedom and expectancy and saying, God, you're welcome, and Holy Spirit, we want you here. The Lord responds to that, and he comes. And that, that's, one, that, that's what I would wish for this church, is that is there's a spirit of freedom, a spirit of openness, where the Holy Spirit can just come move freely in this gathering and do anything he wants to do. We need to earnestly desire and seek them. We're actually commanded to seek spiritual gifts. Do you realize that? 1 Corinthians 13, 21 says, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14, 39, so my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. And look at this quote by Sam Storms. I don't know if I gave it to these guys. Let's see if it comes up. Anyway, Sam Storm says, to reject spiritual gifts, to turn aside from the immediate and gracious enabling is in a sense to turn from God. It's no small issue whether one affirms or denies these manifestations of the divine presence. Look at this last sentence. In affirming them, we welcome him. In denying them, 
we deny him. Fifthly, we need to step out in faith and take risks. John Wimber said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And for the intellectually challenged, that's risk. Amen? So, uh, I'm with you, okay? When Peter walked on water, what did he have to do? First, he had to step out of the boat. And yeah, the other 11 played it safe, but they also didn't walk on water. Can I get an amen? Peter had, to, he, Peter had to take that foot and put it outside of the boat, and the moment he did, he found the water to be solid. But you have to step out. You have to take risks. And sometimes you're going to miss it. Sometimes you're not. But you got to be willing to, to take risks and try things. Often the power of the Holy Spirit is situational. Oftentimes the power doesn't come ahead of time. It comes in the moment. I experience that so many times when I'm preaching. I don't feel God's power until I step into the pulpit. And the moment I step into the pulpit, I feel the power of God. But I have to step out in faith. I have to believe God. I have to take a risk. And then the power is there to help me. I did a funeral two weeks back. It's only the second funeral I've ever done because everybody in my church is like, is like 20 years old, right? So I, don't, I, I do weddings and baby dedications. I don't do funerals, right? And so I did this funeral about a week ago. And the wildest thing was, I'll never forget walking into that funeral home. And the moment I stepped up to that pulpit, I felt the power of God come inside of me. And I had all this grace to comfort these people and be there for them in the passing of their grandfather. It was beautiful. And lastly, and let's all stand to our feet. Everyone stand up. The last thing we need to do is we need to lay hands on one another. And here's the last thought I want to leave with you. You know what? We're not the solution. Jesus is the solution. Amen? All we are is God's mailmen and mailwomen. We just deliver the mail. And all my, respo- all my responsibility is, is to be a clean, empty vessel through which the Holy Spirit can move and touch somebody else. And so sometimes it actually what happens is that as we lay hands on somebody and pray for them and begin to minister to them, we become the channel through which the Holy Spirit can bless somebody else. It's not a power that I have. I'm just making myself available to be that power through which God can bless and touch somebody else. So let's pray. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Father God, I thank you for everybody in this room today. Lord, I love them so much. I honor these, I honor these believers. I honor this church. And if you feel comfortable, just lift your hands right now. You don't have to if you don't feel comfortable. And Father God, I pray for every single person in this room today that right now, Lord, you would fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit. I pray for a fresh baptizing of the Holy Spirit right now, God. I pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit right now. I pray for every single believer in this room that, God, you would fill them to overflowing right now in this moment with the power and the presence and the grace and the love and the kindness of the Holy Spirit, God. I pray, Lord, you would break every chain, every addiction. You would take away every fear, every bit of anxiety, every negative thought. I pray for every marriage to be restored, Lord. I pray for every relationship, every broken relationship to be healed. I pray for power and deliverance right now that you would fill your people again. That breath of God, Ruach Elohim, that you would blow upon your church again, Lord, and you'd bring fresh life into your church, God. That, that the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit, like at Pentecost, would just blow into this church. Lord, you're the wind in our sails, and without your breath, God, we can't go forward. And so, breath of God, blow upon everybody in this room today, God. Fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. Restore them, God. Wash them clean. 
heal every person in this room this morning, God. I pray for every sickness, Lord, every disease, every heart issue, every uh, nervous system issue, that every sickness in this room would be healed in the name of Jesus, Lord. I pray for every bit of just demonization, Lord, that every demonic power would be broken in this room this morning, Lord Jesus, that every chain would be snapped off every person in this room this morning, God. I pray for radical deliverance and radical freedom, and you would set every person in this room free this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, God. And God, we pray for revival on Pensacola Beach, amen? Come on, right now, just start praying for revival on Pensacola Beach. Just say that, just say, God, bring revival to Pensacola Beach. God, bring revival to Pensacola. Bring revival to Gulf Breeze. Even bring revival to Navarre, Lord. Bring revival to Fort Walton and Fort Walton Beach and Destin and 30A and coastal Alabama and Mississippi and New Orleans. I pray that the North Gulf Coast would be known for revival. It would be known for the gospel. It would be known for the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray the Lord, you would move so powerfully in this region that it would touch and shake the entire world. That there'd be people on the opposite side of the planet going, what's that thing that's happening in Pensacola again? Because the body of Christ is on fire and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, God. Come on, Lord. Come on, God. Come on, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Just say, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come move again, Lord. Come work again, God. Don't let the darkness win the day, Lord. Let the, let the light of Jesus shine so brightly, God. We bind Satan and all of his demons in the name of Jesus, God. Bring revival to America. Bring revival to the world. Come move in supernatural power, God, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Come on, and all God's people said...